Welcome to the Training Design Podcast. 45 minutes-ish of practical tips and insights on training design with me, Terry Pierce of Untold Play. And me, Sheridan Webb of the Training Designers Club. In today's episode, we're going to talk about structure in training sessions. We're going to talk about some of the traps and pitfalls that people, when they're designing courses, uh, come across and when trying to put structure into their courses. And we're also going to talk about a six-part tool for putting structure into your design, the master structure. So we got a number of really useful comments and bits of feedback on season one. And one of them was around uh, people would like to know a little bit more about how to structure training. So, Sheridan, I know that you've got some ideas and, in fact, a framework that you're going to talk about a little bit on this. But um, maybe we should start with, I mean, what, what are some of the challenges here for people? Thanks, Terry. Yeah, I mean, structure and training is it's something that um, I'm more than happy to talk through. And it's one of those things I think tends to get um, forgotten almost. We don't always give the scaffolding as much thought as we should. Um, and particularly when I'm supporting um, new training designers or less experienced training designers or even reviewing, you know, courses that people got the content's good, but it's not quite working. It's usually because the, the, the structure isn't there. I think a lot of trainers tend to focus too much on content um, and we think that because the content is good, the course is good. You know, when I've helped people review this, you know, the content is good. You know, what, what they're choosing to share with their learners is exactly the right thing. Um, you know, it may, have, it may have activities in there. It doesn't always, but somehow it just it doesn't flow hmm. um, and that can make um, the learning much more difficult I think for the people who are going through it. So um, some examples, I think, uh, is to say that there's too much telling, which I think we've probably all experienced. I think that's one of the reasons why training still sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap um, in that it's boring because there's you know 45 minutes of talking before anyone comes up for breath. Mm. Um, and you can cover a heck of a lot of stuff, stuff in 45 minutes. Uh, and, that, you know, and telling isn't training, is it? Um, another reason, um, just I'm just giving a bit of a preamble really, is to sort mm. of give you a, a teaser as to why this structure works so well. Is I don't know about you, Terry, but when I'm facilitating, I still get quite a lot of the time people coming up to me and going, "There aren't any role plays, are there?" Do you, do you get that? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, <laughs> um, and people get really worried about role plays, and I know that we we both see the value in doing role plays, but. I think sometimes um, what puts people off and what makes training ineffective is if we do role plays or testing in the wrong place in the course. Mm -hmm. So I think if you've got, unless you've got a very good reason, um, we don't put role plays right at the start. Mm. Um, It just doesn't serve any purpose. Um, And I think other things that that we can, um, traps that we can fall into, particularly if stakeholders are pressurizing us against time and things like that, or if it's not um, a professional trainer doing the course, if it's a subject matter expert, um, this tendency to cram as much content in as possible, but without building in the time to explore it um, Mm. through activities and discussion and all the things that we know are good practice. Um, So it's one of those things. It's a little bit like, I suppose, what tends to happen is all the ingredients are there, but we haven't put them together in the right way. And I think that's when the structure really, you know, it, it acts as a recipe, if you like, so that all those ingredients come together in exactly the right way and create a learning event that's really going to have impact and really going to work. Yeah. You're probably used by now from, of me to relating everything back to games or storytelling, but you're just making me, 
think there of uh, you know the difference between a storyteller who who knows exactly what order to tell the things in and another one who says oh hang on a sec I forgot to tell you about this thing that I should have told you in order to make this punchline work and, and that kind of stuff yes yeah. yeah it's exactly that sort of thing and, and we, we can lose people mm. um, along the way if we're not following that clearly defined structure and the great thing with um, um, a well-structured course is just like those comedians you know that, that yeah. you go and see it appears natural and ram- rambling mm. but it isn't yeah, um, it's very well thought out. You know, you, you go and see a comedian one day, you see them a week later, they're telling, they're using almost exactly the same words. Yeah. Um, but looking like it comes off the top of the head. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point is that, you know, it doesn't have to be visible, the structure. You you have to know it and you have to understand that it's uh, making sense in a, in a learning context, but they don't. It just mm. has to work for them. Yes, yeah. And the structure is just there to um, make, it, it's the path of least resistance to learning, really. So we, we, it is the easiest way through the learning. Um, because if learning is difficult, people will give up and they won't want to come. And that's when you get dropouts. That's when you get learning not being applied in the workplace. And that's when it all becomes a waste of time. So structure is just as important as your content, as far as I'm concerned. Excellent. So, uh, I, I, I know I was going to say I, I'm, bought, I'm bought in. I already was to begin with, to be, to be, to be honest. But um, yeah, I'm bought in. How should people structure? Um, well, just again, one more thing just before I go into the model that I particularly want to share is to give a very quick reference mm. um, to the ADDIE model, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. And, and it was popularized by um, e-learning training. And ADDIE stands for Analysis, Design, Development, implementation evaluation and when i've talked to some learning designers they use that as their structure which is fine as a whole design process but it's not fine to design a learning event Um, because what i'm going to talk to you in just a moment is the the design and the development in in addy terms the the design in addy terms is really the scoping out of an event so the very top line scoping this is what we're going to cover Um, And then the development is the detail. Mm. And it's in that development is, which is where um, we need to structure the event so that it flows. So it's easy. um, So everything links together. So Addy doesn't give us um, how to develop the Mm. content, if you like. Yeah. But thankfully there's a chap called Colin Rose who does. Okay. Um, Now Colin Rose, um, wrote lots of stuff on accelerated learning and I'm a massive fan of accelerated learning principles and to be honest it's possibly um, a podcast in its own right to go through some of those things but what Colin Rose did in his Master It Faster book, um, nice little bit of alliteration there, um, was provide us with a fantastic structure for designing learning events which incorporates all of um, accelerated learning principles without us actually having to know what they are which is always nice isn't it? Great. (laughs) Um, so I'll, I'll tell you quickly what the MASTER stands for, because it's a great acronym, and then um, we can explore each of them together, if you like. Mm-hmm. So in, in the MASTER, the M stands for mindset, so getting people in the right mindset for the learning. The A stands for acquire, and that is acquire the information. The S is for sift for the meaning or search for the meaning. Um, different people use different terms. T is trigger the memory. E is exhibit the learning. 
and the R is for reflect and review. And I've been using this model for probably 20 years now um, when I've been designing training and it always works. It has never let me down. That's a bold claim. Go ahead, and, <laughs> go, go ahead and back it up. I'll show you can. Oh my goodness me. When we go through my archives now and say, oh, well, there was, there was this one course in 1998 where it didn't quite work. <laughs> I've got faith in you. Yeah, no, no, honestly, I, I, I can't think of a time when it has failed me. And when I've written a course that doesn't feel quite right, um, I go back to these and check it against the master. And it's usually because I've missed something out. Mm. Okay. Because so, I, I use it unconsciously now. Obviously, mm. when I started using it, it was a very conscious thing um, to, to go through the various elements. So shall I go take you through each one? And, and, and I know that you don't consciously use this model, Terry, but I, I'm willing to put a tenor on it that you do <laughs> <laughs> okay well we'll see we'll see won't we Excellent. because if your training works you probably use it you just don't necessarily um use it consciously i mean i'm sure i've used each yeah. of those uh, six ideas at some point or another anyway so let, let's let's hear how absolutely <laughs> let's think about effective training that we've designed that we've participated in whatever it is so we always start off with the mindset um so this is about what's in it for me um why should i be doing this training um, how will it benefit me? Um, and if you think about, you know, traditionally, we cover that through clear learning objectives, don't we? Mm. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of uh, learning objectives being a real big part of the learning experience. For me, mm -hmm. they, they uh, tend to bore people. I think they're best to sit outside of it to help us work out what people need to do. Yeah. But this is the great thing with this master model is, is that we can start creating the mindset before we mm. come into the training environment. Um, so what other ways would you um, get people in the right mind for, mindset for learning then, Terry? Are we talking about mindset for learning per se, or do we mean mm -hmm. mindset for the topic or the, for a, a particular part of the topic? Both probably. So, so why should people partake in this training? Mm. why am i giving up a day of my time to do it mm. i think i mean this is where it can definitely link to those objectives but rather than kind of listing them out in the language that we often do objectives mm -hmm. in then either as part of kind of uh, pre-course work or curation or early on in the session uh, i think it's definitely a great idea to tell people what they're going to get out of it in a way that's phrased in uh, practical terms practical yeah. difference it will make to your job and your life and how you can do stuff better that you need to do yeah um which i would do with with more or less any stuff i probably do it a little bit as well with uh particular topics uh where i think there's resistance so with creativity if people think they're not very creative uh trying to prove to them that they can be creative uh in a small way before you get them actually doing more in-depth stuff or, or yeah. some similar kind of things for other topics yeah i mean it's, it is um you know the the, the learning objectives or the measurable outcomes is, you know, they do fit into this mindset part, so upfront. Um, but it's also when we think about uh, the marketing aspect. Mm -hmm. So what problems will this training solve? What benefits will it give you? How will it make your life better? Um, and, you know, it's okay, as you suggested, Terry, to have those conversations with people to help them to identify the need that this training will help them with. So it's about making that initial link 
so that what we shouldn't end up with, and unfortunately we still do sometimes, is the, I've been sent on this course, I don't know what it's about. Yeah, yeah. Because people who turn up saying, I've been sent on this course, I don't know what it's about, are less likely to get value from it than those who've bought into it, thought about how it's going to help them, maybe prepped their own mind by doing a bit of pre-work or a little bit of reading in advance. Um, those people are coming to the session primed to learn. Mm. Good. So, so, so that, that mindset is, is incredibly important. Um, and I, I agree with you, too. If, we, if we're only going to do it for five minutes at the start of the session, it's going to have a limited impact. So we need to start that in advance, really, mm-hmm. and then just summarize it um, at the start of the event. So I'll take you through the whole model, um, and then I'll tell you how I use it. Okay. Um, so the, the A stands for acquire. Mm. So in the old-fashioned days, Lou, going back, this is what I would call the talky bit. Mm. so (laughs) um the traditional this is where we give you some information so Mm. trainer input um is is where this would typically happen because you know we do need to provide people with new information um but it doesn't just have to be the trainer going through a slide deck Mm. now there are lots of other ways that we can help people to acquire new information yeah it's really about what happens in their heads. So long as they have acquired it by the end of mm. whatever we're doing, it may have been through very non-traditional routes. Yeah. I mean, typically the sort of things that I would say fall into this category is obviously trainer input, but delegate input as well. So if we have, um, you know, and you, I know you talk about stories all the time, so they can tell each other stories or experiences. Mm. So that's acquiring information because we don't have to learn everything from the trainer. Um, we can watch a video. You know, we can see an expert in action. Um, we can have that discussion. We can even have some personal reflection um, or a little bit of reading, um, although I would generally argue that reading should be done in advance. Mm. Um, and then you can have the, the reflection and the discussion around it. But the fact is, is that when we, you, know, you introduce new stuff in whatever format, which we can then go and explore and build on mm. and all the rest of it. Yep, making sense so far? Yep, so introducing the information. Yep. So then we move on to the S, um, which stands for sift or search for the meaning. And the sift and search for the meaning and the next one, trigger the memory, I think are the two most important areas. And they are the two areas that um, non-professional trainers miss out Mm. more often than not. Sift for the meaning is where we really unpack the information that we've just provided um, that's when we start to explore it in detail. That's when we start to think about what it means. That's when we start to think about um, how that relates to our situation, our job, our challenges. Mm. Um, and this is where we use activities mm. and discussions to really bring that learning to life. Mm. So whether it's seeking different perspectives, you know, some of the things you talked about before, challenging models, um, setting um Using case studies, you know, I'm a massive fan of case studies as well. Delving into the detail, looking for examples, it's all in this sift for the meaning part. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I both know that that's where the vast majority of uh, learning happens. Mm. I think that relates really well to some of the things that we were saying when we uh, spoke about Bloom's taxonomy and getting people more deeply into the learning last week, you know, definitely that, uh, you know, w- one level is, is knowing or understanding or, or even understanding in, in a, in a, 
theoretical sense how you would apply something and there's another to say this is how it this is what it means to me uh, yes this is what the stage is about yeah and i think it's so important because um on a lot of training courses um we're, we're guilty of throwing a lot of information at people um and not they don't need to know all of it in the same level um mm. whereas i think when we go through the sift for the meaning it, it allows what's important for them to rise to the top Mm. Um, and that's the stuff that they're going to develop and that's the stuff that they're going to take away so it's so important that we take time um, and build in the time to do this through all the various different activities um, that we talked about before Mm. Um, and and in that safe environment yeah absolutely so it's making it about me making sure that we build in time for them to not just understand it but also internalize it and relate it to their own situation yeah it's a little bit i suppose it's it's like in the acquire section we sort of give them the give them the outline of it and sift for the meaning is about coloring it in um mm. you know let's bring it to life uh, and we'll all do that in a slightly different way but it's all structured it's all based on the same thing mm. so once we've explored whatever it is we're talking about um you know in in whatever way is appropriate and um, whether that is a discussion or a case study or a card sort activity or, you know, whatever it is, we then need people to remember it. Because um, my husband went on a course. I'm going back a few years now, to be fair. And he, he said, oh, he went on this course. I said, what was it good? He said, yeah, it was really good. Excellent. What did you learn? Oh, we did something on this and we did something <laughs> on that. He couldn't remember. Mm. Um, so although he enjoyed it, um, he couldn't actually remember what he'd learned. <laughs> so the T stands for trigger the memory. Yeah. Um, I often get that exact same thing happening when I try and explain a really great nonfiction book that I've just read. So I'm trying to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I made some really good points about this topic. And then, you know, I'm perhaps be sending this to my wife and she say, so, so what exactly did it say? How did it build its argument? Um, it was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But of course, that's um, just that's just reading, you know. That's that's yeah. That's exactly you know they, they haven't fulfilled all. If I've just read something, made no notes, done no activities, then I'm not going to remember it very well. No, no, you're not. You haven't had the the multiple um, touch points with it mm. with the information, have you? Mm. Which is what master is all about. It's providing mm. those multiple touch points. Mm. Um, so we have the acquire where we're told it. We have the the S where we. Um, talk about it and we explore it and we have the T where we do something which makes it memorable. Um, now, the, the the S, the T and the E, when I come into it, they, they can often be combined in one thing. Mm. Um, and I'll talk about that when I finish going through the model. But the T is for triggering the memory. So again, this is another way into the training. So it may be that we do a physical activity. Yeah, so one of the um, courses is, for example, we were throwing beanbags at a target and it's, um, well, what what are we doing that for? So, yeah, well, where are we throwing beanbags at a target? Oh, we were talking about goal setting. Okay, so now I remember the topic that we were exploring. So what did that teach you about goal setting? It told us that we had to, you know, focus on one thing at a time and this, that, and the other. So, but without that trigger, maybe, that, that thing that was a little bit um, quirky, um, a little bit um, unusual, they may not remember all the details. So again, it's another way into the learning. Mm. So things that I would tend to use for triggering the memory is um, the variety, which is again something that mm. we talked about on a previous podcast. So mm. if I do six flip chart activities, it's not going to stick in my mind. 
So if every activity is different, I'm far more likely to remember because um, each activity is unique rather mm. than we, we did lots of the same things. Mm. People remember physical exercises. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was doing the whole walking people around a car park wearing blindfolds, mm. um, which is hilarious and everyone has a laugh and, you know, they're able to have a quick smoke or a coffee as they're doing that. Um, but again, we're able to link that back to, in this case, influencing skills. Things like mnemonics, diagrams, pictures can help, you know, people to remember. Because again, it's that, it's using more than one sense, isn't it? So the more, again, the more touch points that we have. I can see you're thinking. No, I am. I am thinking about all this and, and how, how it works. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking very deeply about what you're telling me. <laughs> I thought you were going to uh, make a suggestion of your own there. No, it just that just uh, I was just thinking of all the different ways that I'm triggered sometimes. Thinking back to the book, active, you know, reading a book, and that actually it's the same thing with a page. But then, what does tend to make me remember something if, if that I've read is if uh, there's a story attached to it, which is obviously a big visual prompt because I've visualised yeah. that story and it's quite memorable. Yes. Um. So yeah, yeah. But stories also incredibly memorable. Yeah. Um, whether they are personal or whether they are carefully selected with a twist in the tale. I mean, one mm. of the ones I used recently in a couple of courses, the tale of five cookies. I don't know if you've come across it, but it's basically about how perceptions can change dramatically when we're just given one extra piece of information. Um, and that oh, people remember that story. Mm. And then they remember what we were talking about and, and what we were learning as a result. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, another great way is realistic case studies as well, because again, it's that storytelling. It's it feels real. It's bringing it to life. So triggering the memory. The E, if you remember, stands for exhibit the learning. Yep. So this is where we ask delegates to reflect back and show us what they know. Um, so what have they learned? What can they do? What can they apply? And if you remember, I said uh, one of the problems at the start, people hate role plays. Mm. Um, for me, the role plays come here. Yeah. If you're going to, so, so if you're doing a, a giving feedback course, you need to practice giving feedback. Mm. But what you shouldn't do is at the start of the session, say, give each other some feedback because that is putting too much pressure on people. It makes them feel uncomfortable. You're setting them up to fail. Mm. Whereas if we get to the exhibit, the learning, when we've shared with them a model or two, They've thought about how that might feel. They've thought about the different words they might use. Um, you know, they've maybe seen some examples of that. They've been able to critique some things. And then you say, now we're going to practice giving some feedback. Mm. They feel ready to do that. Mm. I, I think in general, you're right. I think there can be circumstances where you can break that. And you'll, you'll get used to this uh, if we talk about models or structures mm -hmm. very much at all. That I, the first thing I try and do is, is try and look for the exceptions. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, for instance, I'm just thinking about presentation skills. Uh, I, I agree completely. Yeah, that, that, that actually, and what makes a difference is when you're saying, okay, you're creating a space where you're saying it's safe to fail. We're saying with mm. the initial presentation that you do at the start of the day, we know it's not going to be perfect, and that's fine. What we're looking for is to see what it is that you don't do perfectly so that we can then give you some things to help you with that. So it's about yeah. how you frame it if you do do it front. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I would say that is that is the, the the main one, I think, where it is appropriate to do it mm. um, beforehand. Like you say, it's almost a before and after. And as long as people are prepared and they understand how it's going to be used, I think it's absolutely fine. But 
um, or a- anything where someone is expected to have a little bit of experience. Mm. Um, so you could do it in giving feedback if people have been in a role where they're used to giving feedback, you know, mm. sales calls, negotiations. Um, but what we shouldn't be doing is asking people to do that upfront when they've never done it before. So in terms of exhibiting the learning, obviously, um, you know, role play is a classic way of doing that. Um, if it's appropriate for the subject matter, you know, you, you can do tests and quizzes. If you're doing something that's quite systems based or maybe, you know, you're doing employment law, you know, we, we can put a, a quiz and a test in there. Um, we can use case studies and we can ask people to present back um, what, what they've learned um, and what they're going to do. So there's lots of different ways that we can ask people to exhibit the learning. And then we wrap it all up with um, the reflection and the review and the action planning. Um, so to really just take a moment to think about, well, what have you taken from this and what you're going to do with it and how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, you, you can do uh, in a variety of ways. You can do that individually. You can do that in groups. Um, mm. Lots of different ways to do it. I cover this in a lot of detail. I've got an online course, um, which is designing great training events. We'll put the links in the show notes if anyone's interested. But I go into those in a lot more detail. One of the things I do stress on that is you use the master for the whole event, um, but also for each section within it. Mm. So how I explain it is you do a big M at the start and a big R at the end. But then for each section, we kind of have to go through the whole thing again. Mm. Um, And also, as I mentioned, particularly the A, the S and the T you may visit multiple times. Hmm. Were, those, so we, were those the three you were saying could be combined as well? So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the acquire, the sift and the um, trigger, hmm. um, you may actually go through that little loop two or three times before you actually ask anyone to exhibit anything because you might be building on the learning. Hmm. Um, and there's also the fact that if you choose a really good activity, hmm. um, that can cover all three. In fact, it can hmm. cover all four. You can yeah. cover the, the acquire, the sift, the trigger, and the exhibit mm. all in one activity um, mm. if you choose that well. So we have what I'm saying is we haven't got to slavishly go through this and say, well, we're only doing that and we're only doing the other. Good. No, I was hoping you would say something like that because I think it's, they, are, they look to me like great things to hit uh, and you know the order makes sense a lot. Um, but again, I, I'm always looking for the exceptions to things and – uh, you know, when I'm designing stuff, I, I, I often, for instance, try and start in the middle of something and then let them work out what's going on as they go along, which, as you say, we could do. You don't have to kind of start with, here's the info, and then think about what it means for you. Um, mm. We can stick them in the middle of a situation, expect them to learn as you get along, so long as it's well designed as a situation which will cover all of those bases. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the acquire part, it, it as we know from our own experience of designing and delivering training is you don't have to provide all the information at once. Mm. Um, and I know you're a big fan of, of almost drip feeding things. So we, we provide a little bit of information, just enough to get people started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can go off and explore themselves and they can come back um, and present what you've got, which then you can then build on and give a little bit more. So um, it's very much an iterative process. Yeah, good. Um, I think. Excellent. Sounds good. So have you got an example of uh, where these things come together in a particular piece of design you've done? Um, well, yeah, I, say I tend to use it pretty much all the time. Um, and I'm, so I'm just going to think to a quite recent 
example, I suppose. Um, I've been working with a client and they subscribe to um, Nigel Risner's Zoo Types, um, which is another sort of four box personality type thing, um, very much based on Jung. So, but, but, but they love it. And so in order to sort of cover this um, and really make it stick, and I know from past experience it does stick, following the master can really help. So in terms of um, setting the mindset, um, we start off by asking a question about, you know, people that you find difficult to work with, people that you find easy to work with. Um, wouldn't it be nice um, if you could, you know, work with these more difficult people a little bit more easily? So we're getting the buy-in to the, oh, if only we could understand them. Um, so that's the kind of the mindset piece, if you like. So it's not, um, it's not a learning objective. It's a helping them to see the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that then that then they're primed and they want to know more it's almost like the, the sales pitch if you like um so then we um we talk about the, the the four types and they have actually been introduced to them as part in part of their pre-course work but then we do that through some basic discussion about you know think about the people that you know what characteristics that, that do they display so in their pre-course work they're only given the bare essentials but through the discussion we build up a much more detailed picture of these four different types and because it's a facilitated thing rather than me telling them I haven't got slides with this on we do it all on the flip chart they are building that information themselves so therefore they feel that they own it they're much more bought into it um, and obviously as a facilitator I am being quite selective as to what is going on that board to make sure that it fits in with what we want it to cover but again this is one of those things isn't it where the delegates don't realize that that's what you're doing as a mm, trainer mm, mm. Um, so we, we do a lot it's a little bit like uh, we do a lot of things behind the scenes don't we mm. that's what it's that's what facilitating <laughs> is all about really you know taking yeah. taking genuine input and genuinely but but also in a in a planned way moving it towards useful conclusions yeah um, then we move on to sift for the meaning. Now, there's a couple of ways that you could do this. The way I do with a large group is we get four different flip charts up and we, we do the, the, multi, you know, the, the move around the flip charts. So um, what's great about this type? What happens if this type is overdone? Um, how do we recognize this type so people move around? Um, with a smaller group, a way that you could do it would be with a card sort activity. So that's where you have, you know, maybe 30 different characteristics all on different cards and you, you sort them out um, depending on the, on the animal type. Mm. You could do it with a simple case study if you wanted. So describe a person, say, well, which animal do you think they are? So that all helps them to sift for the meaning. Um, would you say referring to a questionnaire they'd done to, to identify their own type would fit there as well? Um, yes. Mm. Yes, I think it, w- it definitely would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the the, we, the reason we do the flip chart if the group is big enough is because the, in terms of sifting for the meaning, it's making it more personal. They are thinking about the people that they know. Mm. So immediately they're starting to link it back to work and the people that they work with. Yeah. So um, making it more real. Mm. Um, when it comes to triggering the memory, to be honest, we're quite a way through the triggering the memory, but I combine it with the sift for the meaning. Mm. Um, in this particular exercise because when they're at each flip chart they have to wear a mask (laughs) (laughs) and I've made little animal masks for them so if they're working at at the lion flip chart they're all dressed up as lions Um, so obviously that causes great hilarity Mm. Um, and they all take photographs of themselves in these masks but it's it's doing its job Mm. it's triggering the memory it's making them remember that exercise and 
and what it meant um, and, and what they were learning when they did it. And then with the exhibit, the learning, we I, I then flipped that. So we've looked at all the describing and this is what it means and this is what they're like. So it's think about the, the lions that you know. Um, mm. How are you going? So what would you do if you wanted to get a lion to do something for you? How would you respond um, if an elephant came to you with this request? What are they looking for? So we make it very specific scenarios, if you like, almost very mini case studies. And I'm asking them what they would do, which is allowing me to test that they understand the theory and mm. you know, they're going to be able to put it into practice. So it, But as far as the delegates are concerned, it's one activity. They mm. don't see the joins because it's just... It's just very, very simple. Um, but I know that I've taken them through a very carefully constructed learning experience, um, which mm. will help them understand this particular theory that the client wants them to, to go through. Sounds like a really good session. Yeah, it is actually. <laughs> and just as you were talking through the example, I mean, to some extent while you were talking through the theory, but particularly while you were talking through the example, I was just thinking how it kind of mapped across to other models that I've used. And probably the main one is uh, the why what and how model i think it has got a proper name beyond that but that's how i always know it which actually maps across fairly well to that so when you were saying oh, you, you probably won your tenor because i probably have used this so they're not in exactly these terms yeah <laughs> what i have used quite often is is the why what how which is uh the why is really your, your m your mindset yeah, the mindset yep. why are we doing this why should i bother why should i listen why should i care the a and to some extent the s are probably the what in that the model what. so um you know what what are we talking about what is the skill what is the knowledge yeah and to some extent yeah what is it to me personally yes and then the how is the uh, actually the e and the r mostly so the exhibit learning yeah. how do i do it uh, show me you can do it and reflect on or plan for how i'm going to do it in the real world yeah the only one the what why how doesn't neatly fit there to be honest is the t trigger memory which could you could just have as an extra piece of advice kind of sitting above or or, or outside all, all three really which is to say you know as well as having this have something about it that is memorable um, Absolutely. so that they they can kind of key into that memory yeah but you know knowing you as i do terry the fact that when you are um doing the the, the, the how and the why that's going to be memorable anyway because you're not just going to sit there and talk to them you are going to be doing it in an active way which itself will trigger the memory Sure. Although I might have to just up my game a little bit to try and compete with the masks thing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's great fun. It's great. It's very time consuming. It's, it's handy if you have a teenager who's willing to cut out masks for a tenner. Mm. So. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, no, that makes uh, perfect sense of it, I think. And yeah, like, like I was saying, I, I personally, you know, I, I'm a very big fan of models of structures, but I'm also a very big fan of chopping and changing them and, and twisting them and, and making them work for you. But yeah, I think that that kind of fits both categories. It gives you a really nice baseline to work from. Yeah. And uh, also is flexible. Yeah, uh, it, it is very flexible and it, and it certainly isn't hard and fast rule. But if we go back to what I said at the start as to why sometimes training doesn't work, particularly when we're put under pressure, is people tend to get rid of the S, the T in, in particular. Hmm. Um, so we go straight from this is what you're going to learn. Here's the information. Do a test. Move on. Hmm. Um, and you know, it, it's, it is a little bit, it's quite interesting. Actually. Um, I went to the kids, um, 
parents' evenings a few months ago, and they were saying there, now schools have changed so much, the kids get really frustrated because they say they don't get taught anything in class. Mm. Um, they, all, they have to do it at home, but I understood from the presentation that was going on, what the teachers are trying to do is encourage independent learning. So they're trying to actually give the mindset and the acquire in class. Mm. Uh, so this is what you need to learn. This is where you can get the information but they actually want the kids to do the sift for meaning and the trigger the memory on their own. Mm. So that's what the homework is all about. It's about writing the cases, it's about doing the reading around, it's about solving the problems. Mm. So basically all teachers are doing these days, as far as I can tell, is acquire information and test. So mm. the kids are meant to do this other bit on their own, which you know some kids can do more easily than others. Yeah. It's also a bit strange that in a way because... The, the the what the kind of the choir is almost a bit that, that is learns itself most easily to to soul to individual learning you know yeah. I, I can read a book and get the what but mm. I'm 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 very much helped when a facilitator skilled facilitator is on hand to help me relate it to my own uh, situation and certainly to to help exhibit. Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, this links back to previous conversations we've had, Terry, particularly about blended learning and flipped classroom and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, the more we can expect our delegates to learn independently and provide a lot of that acquire stuff up front, mm. um, which we can then just quickly revisit um, yeah. and, and spend most of our time exploring that information, the, the better it is all round, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at those six uh, mindset, acquire, sift, search, trigger, exhibit, and reflect, and try to assign a little—I won't go through it now—but if you try to assign a value of, of how much value we can add as facilitators, mm, yeah, if, I'm thinking of the facilitator hat now, and rather than a designer hat, mm. um, then actually uh, we can add much more. I think at some of those stages than we can at others. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I'm not going to open the debate, but it would be mm. interesting to think about how that shifts if you are um, designing an online course. Mm. Mm. Um, so if you're more of an e-learning developer, um, you know, obviously you, but the principles still apply mm. as far as sure. I'm concerned, you know, and, and I'll, I, hands up, I'm not um, an e-learning specialist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, mm. The methods will be different, obviously, mm. um, but the principles I think still apply. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think a little bit like face-to-face -face training, the answer probably varies a lot depending on the quality of it because I've seen a lot of e-learning and, uh, you know, other forms of kind of digital stuff that uh, are really just all about the what, all about the acquire, mm. and others that are much more interactive, uh, but that requires a lot more skill and different components and so on. Yeah, yeah. and it's a lot more time-consuming mm -hmm. um, to, to design it. It's yeah. a lot more time-consuming. Yeah. So anyway, so that's one of my pet subjects, um, and oh, I've done webinars on it. So I've got this online course on it. It's there's stuff in the Train Designers Club on it. I just, for me, if you follow that, you won't go far wrong when you're designing training. So mm. yeah, no, it sounds really good. Thank you for sharing it, Sharon. So is there anything, um, any thoughts you've had that you'd like to share this week, Terry? Because I've, I've very much dominated the conversation. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, so I was going to kind of do a little mini book review and uh, just a brief overview of the framework that came out of that book actually uh, if we can fit it in in the time available I'll, I'll try and be brief 
Um, so recently read uh, Yukai Chow's uh, book on gamification. Uh, so his gamification again, one of my concerns. But um, <laughs> that's one of your pet topics. <laughs> mm, but but one of the interesting things about it actually was uh, the his Octalysis framework, which the book is based on. Um, is the book's called Actionable Gamification, and it is very much a practical framework. And it's really not just about gamification; it's about human motivation. So okay. what he really talks about in the book a lot is how by adopting game type concepts, we can tap into these motivators. But actually, you could definitely write a book that wasn't even about mo gamification at all. It was just about motivation or it was about other mm -hmm. ways to get at these motivators. So if, if anyone listening is bored of me talking about games and gamification, <laughs> uh, then uh, they, they, they don't even need to worry about that because this is kind of just about motivation and human motivation. And he's got a really interesting this Octalysis framework an eight-point uh, framework. And again, you've seen, I'm sure, I know you, Sheridan, I'm sure lots of our um, uh, listeners have seen all kinds of different models of motivation, loads and loads of different ones. And I think, you know, a lot of them have some usefulness. But again, this one just, just struck me as, as a really useful way to divide it up into eight buttons that you can press in people. Yeah. So I'm just going to very briefly talk about those eight buttons. Uh, and then if they sound interesting to people, maybe they'll go out and read that book. So I think it's very much applicable to people who are, who are not in the games or gamification space as well as people are. Um, so he talks about um, epic meaning. So something, an experience, whatever it might be, tapping into a sense of uh, epic meaning and uh, you know something beyond the purpose, beyond the thing itself, a bigger life thing. Yeah. He talks about uh, a sense of accomplishment and things being able to give people a sense of wins and of progress and of uh, victories. Um, he talks about creativity and empowerment of creativity and feedback on how your creative efforts are going, uh, kind of rolled into one. Um, and, you know, something and experience being able to give you, uh, uh, being empower you to, to be creative and, and to uh, see how those creative efforts are going. He talks about the uh, drive of ownership uh, and possession and keeping those things that you own and keep it collecting and getting sets and tapping into those buttons. He talks about social influence and relatedness. So just being able to, yeah, have your social buttons pressed and, and being feeling part of a community. So it's about scarcity and impatience. So the drive of wanting something because uh, you can't have it or there aren't many of it or you, uh, you want it now and it's not available until later. And he talks about curiosity and unpredictability and uh, the, the influence of chance. And finally, uh, about loss and avoidance, about wanting to, to keep what you have and not, uh, not feel a sense of loss. Yeah. Uh, those eight just make sense in a, a top kind of level. I, I'm seeing links, not mm. direct links. There's definitely links to David Rock's scarf model there. Scarf. Uh, I've heard of that. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, uh, okay, it's one of my favourites. Mm, okay. um, just the, 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 the social brain, basically what the brain wants. So it's obviously there 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 are overlaps because it's clearly um, linked to motivation in, in that yeah. point. So, I mean, in, in, in just talking about those things, you know, it could be it could be something you could map to any existing framework and it could just be another motivation framework. But I think for me, what was really, really amazing about the book was uh, just how many really, really practical examples he gave of putting these things into actions. And, and it's all just about making people want to do things, making mm. people want to engage, uh, making people want to take actions which are going to aid their learning or which are going to make them 
I mean, in, in his case, he's using it some for marketing. So, you know, he's talking about making people become customers or more loyal customers. But definitely, there's uh, huge amounts of applications uh, in terms of learning and training. So helping people to unlock their chance to be creative, to uh, be more accomplished. And, and, and for me, the, the real strength in it actually was that as a framework, what it does is it tries to identify where's your weak spot in your experience. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I, I took it and, and looked at something I was doing and said, well, you know what, this really helps people with a sense of accomplishment and it really helps to unlock their creativity. But there's, there's nothing in here about epic meaning. It doesn't yeah. connect to anything bigger. And you can't necessarily force that or fake it. No. You know, not, not everything is about saving the planet. <laughs> but you can open up a space within that to say, well, can I connect it to epic meaning that may exist for them? Can I yeah, say, yeah, yeah. actually, what, what do you want to do in the world? And then can I make links between that and this? Yeah. Uh, things like that. So, so for me, it really, it's, it's real strength. There's this framework and, and the book as well is lots of practical tips and suggestions and just a, a real chance to, to kind of take a step back from anything that you might already be doing and saying, yeah, I'm doing some good things, but I could be doing better. I could uh, make it hit these buttons for people because these buttons mm. are important to some people. It's, uh, it sounds like it's um, a, a vast um, uh, expanding of the mindset a master isn't it because it's all about why should i bother doing this um what's in it for me and and you know i've thought a number of times that in some ways l and d needs to be more marketing you know we mm. need to really um get people bought into the idea before we can get them bought into the into the content so it's um it's, it's all starting to merge isn't it it does actually although in a way I, i've mostly spoken about that upfront stuff but actually he, another thing that he also does in the book is talks about and again, he's viewing it through a kind of games lens. So he talks about the, the stages of a game. So what interests people in playing a game early on is not going to keep them playing once they've mastered all the skills in the game. Yeah. It's about the different stages of a game. But again, even if you're not interested in games, you can take that and say, well, actually, in an experience, you, know, you go through various stages. You go through, I'm not even inside it yet. Do I want to go inside it? Now yeah. I'm inside it and I'm learning how to, to do things. But is it interesting enough to keep me going through the learning curve? And then after the learning curve, uh, okay, so now I'm feeling pretty good, but is there something still ahead of me, some, some carrot or something to make me want to absolutely master things? And then finally, even at that stage, uh, do I want to stick around even though I seem to have mastered everything? Mm. Um, so in a way, yeah, the mindset piece it, it most obviously relates to, but in a way it it's, could run through all of acquiring and sifting yeah, yeah. and exhibiting in terms of keeping people engaged rather than allowing them to drop off. Very interesting. So, uh, yeah, I, I was quite pleased there. I managed to uh, encapsulate, uh, you know, a relatively uh, meaty book into to, uh, five, ten minutes there. But if it sounds interesting, I'd hugely recommend it. Uh, Actionable Gamification by Yukai Chow. Cool. So there's an absolute wealth of stuff there. I'm going to try and summarize some of it in uh, a short amount of time if I can manage it. So uh, for me, some of the biggest uh, things that came out of what we just discussed were that people fall into traps like content focus, like lack of flow, uh, like um, not having the right activities at the right stage in the day. Yeah. And structures like Addy don't necessarily help them to work that kind of flow and that structure on a, on a session level out. But what can do is master, which is about mindset, First of all, getting people to understand why they should engage. 
uh, acquire, uh, getting them to giving them the information or making sure that the information is in their brain anyway. Yeah. And maybe at the same time, or maybe afterwards, helping them to sift and search it for how what it means to them, and also making sure that something about their experience is triggering in terms of their memory, so that they uh, can recall it easily. Yeah. Um, so to all of that, they've uh, got the information, they understand how it's true, how it's uh, makes sense to them, but they also then need to exhibit, show, uh, do it before then reflecting on what they can take away and put into action beyond the experience itself which is the r yeah absolutely yeah Fantastic. follow that and you won't go far wrong <laughs> good stuff so we'd love to hear from you as well uh, it would be great to uh for anyone who's listening to uh get onto the facebook site and tell us about anything that they that this session made them think about or anything they'd like us to think about for future for future episodes or they can get in touch with us directly. Uh, you can find me via either of my two businesses, 360 Learning Design or Untold Play. Uh, and again, more details on the show notes and on the Facebook page. And you can find me the easiest way is to Google the Training Designers Club. Um, you can join as a VIP member or you can just join the free Facebook group if that is more your thing. And of course, we're both more than happy for you to connect with us on LinkedIn. Just put a little note that you listen to the podcast um, and we will be delighted to add you to our network. Definitely. It's been great talking to you today, Sharon. As always, Terry, as always. And uh, yep, yeah, I look forward to our next episode. Me too.